Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the afternoon here on Ausbiz. 60 minutes that we call The Call, where we analyse 10 stocks that you've suggested to us. I put it to uh, put them to an expert panel for their views on it. Uh, great panel today as well. Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital joins us uh, up in the Hunter there. G'day, Luke. How are you? Good, thanks, Koshi. Uh, yeah, not such a great day up here, but it's always always nice. Yeah, yeah. No, a great part of the world there. Um, some good wineries around there, so that helps you get through the rain. Uh, <laughs> Owen Raskovich from Ras Media is with us as well from Melbourne. Owen, uh, uh, Freedom Day coming to you very quickly in Melbourne. Yeah, that's right, Koshi. It, um, it's also my birthday tomorrow, so you can oh. celebrate two things in one. Although when you get a little bit older, do you celebrate them? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cry me a river. Uh, well, <laughs> what, are you past 30 yet? Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's uh, my lifetime health cover loading starts tomorrow, so <laughs> unless I have private health insurance. I <laughs> oh, love it. All right, we always have a lot to talk about when we talk to you two, Jen, so I'll get straight into it. And of course... We're continuing our, our series today of um, what I've called um, a, a crash list. Um, stocks to put on your watch list if there's a share market crash. A lot of the experts are getting concerned that markets are too high at the moment. We're due a major correction. Now, for a lot of us mere mortals in, uh, in the share market, you go, oh, that's bad news. But for the bright sparks like, uh, like Luke and Owen and the, the rest of our expert teams here, they see it as a great way of loading up on stocks that they've been watching for a while, have been too expensive, um, and when there is a correction or pullback, it's a great time to load up on them. So I've asked each of our panellists over the last two weeks to give us a stock on their watch list that they're just itching for a crash in the market to uh, to start investing in again. So, um, uh, Lou, what's your... Uh, What's your stock that you have on your watch list? Yeah, look, Koshi, uh, my stock was uh, zero, and it's, it's a very simple reason. I, I think uh, the, the way you described the, the task was spot on. You, you create the list of stocks that you think are, are brilliant businesses but are just too expensive for you, and, and zero is, uh, you know, that, that's right in that basket for me. But I, I think it's probably, if not the highest quality stock on the ASX, very close to it. It's, it's easily... Um, you know, a software stock you could put up there with any global peer uh, listed on the NASDAQ or anywhere else. Um, developing into a true platform solution as well um, through through the Zero App Store and uh, the, the different verticals they're able to offer the, their customers. And um, it, it's really interesting to watch this business evolve where they're seeing which other solutions and, and, and products are resonating well with their customers. And when they see them, they're either buying those businesses or, or developing alternatives in-house. And so they're really just um, becoming that uh, that real crucial uh, software for their customers. But 
as you said, very expensive um, on, on a uh, probably let's use a revenue basis, about about 20, 21 times recurring revenue. But but certainly this is one of those stocks that you put on your watch list. If you see that crash, um, you know, and you can pick it up, um, you know, maybe even sub $100 or something like that, maybe less than 15 times recurring revenue. Um, I, I think it's a, a business mm. perfect for this sort of uh, exercise. Yep. Great company, which I've always thought has been beautifully positioned to set up as a small business bank. <laughs> They've got all yep. the data on all of the small businesses in Australia and now overseas. and pretty easy to, to move there. Um, Owen, what's your crash stock? Yeah, I think that's a great pick, um, Zero by Luke. I didn't know what he was picking coming in, so that's a great one. My one is actually um, a company called Prometicus based here out of Melbourne. Yep. Um, just in terms of the tasks that we were given, uh, if you could buy one company, I think Prometicus would probably be my one. Um, I, know, I know you've had Sam Hubert on the on the program before as an interview, but basically, Prometicus is a it's a software business for radiology uh, clinics and hospitals. So basically, it's created this software called Visage, which allows uh, doctors and radiologists to instantly stream um, super high resolution images. Um, whether they're in hospitals, um, they can stream them straight to an iPad or an iPhone, and effectively they clip the ticket as as more images are taken. Um, the business is expanding into artificial intelligence. It's one it's like the Mayo Clinic, amongst others. It's at about, I think, off the top of my head, about 180 times earnings, maybe even more than that now. Um, and it's about $54 a share. I'd probably look to buy it if it could come back to, say, $20. Um, I think that's a realistic valuation for a company like this. But at the end of the day, you know, I've been saying that for a while. We recommended it at $7. I sold some at 13 So this is one that just keeps on going. Um, Great management, cashed up, scalable, lots to like yeah. about it. But at the end of the day, it's got the valuation to match. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you and Claude Walker from Richlife uh, <laughs> rode yeah, this one yeah, up. Right. And uh, much to the chagrin of the rest of us, so uh, for a pullback <laughs> to the levels you bought in would be very nice indeed, let me tell you. So mm. two good stocks there, Prometicus and Zero to put on our watch list. Right, let's get into uh, the stocks you want us to have a look at. And um, this one, I don't think has come up on the call before. Um, Owen, Danny wants a view on Fatfish. Now, my reading of this, it's it's like a, a listed venture capital firm, is it? A tech firm that, that introduce or co, uh, they call it a co-entrepreneurship model with, um, uh, with tech ventures, um, mainly in Australia and Asia. Uh, recently raised another $8 million from a big US-based fund, Arena Investors, as well. Um, what do you think of Fatfish? Yeah, this is a business that's totally new to me, Koshi. Um, so my, my understanding of it's quite limited. But in the, the time that we had available, effectively, um, you can think about it as, I think it's like a tech venture firm. I think that's how yeah. they describe it. And effectively, it holds parts of other businesses. Um, I think they've got buy now, pay later in there. It's focused on Southeast Asia. Um, I think the, the main man is based out of Singapore. So um, experience also comes with a pretty strong CV uh, in terms of, um, I guess, the, the, the depth of the technical knowledge, this type of business, but also just generally speaking in terms of um, running businesses. I think the first company he started was at the age of 23. So, I mean, we have someone at the helm that's um, experienced in company management, experienced in venture tech, um, and we've kind of got a mismatch of companies. But I think the big kind of red flag here is basically that the business is nowhere near scale. So I've just got the numbers here in front of me, half year revenue of $145,000 on a market cap of $50 million. 
I just struggle to reconcile that. Um, yeah. So it's a very interesting business and one that probably deserves further attention uh, if you can understand each of the different operating subsidiaries. But uh, for me, this is probably it's probably a sell for me for now. Um, but again, I don't I've only been introduced to this company in the last say forty eight hours. Yeah, um, Luke, what do you think? It do, it does seem like a, a listed venture capital group and uh, uh, has been sort of after quite a few fintech businesses in that buy now pay later space in um, in Asia at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, look, like Owen, it's sort of new to me as well, so, so take that with a grain of salt, but um, I, I've come to most of the same conclusions that he did. Um, look, yeah, listed venture capital, Asia-focused, uh, last few announcements, they've pivoted into sort of fintech, buy now, pay later, so that's a nice space to be in, don't get me wrong. Um, a couple of the issues I saw with it is their largest holding is actually in a Swedish company called Abelco, which is another listed venture capital firm. So, you know, when you invest in a listed venture capital firm, it's a derivative of the portfolio holdings that they own, but you're sort of getting a derivative of a derivative with this stock. So for me, that sort of additional complexity is something that you, you probably don't need in a stock that's you know already complex in and of itself. Um, the other one as well is that, as Owen points out, as, as sort of... Um, uh, holding companies, um, these businesses are often run subscale because they don't have operating income coming through them directly. It's the investments they hold in their other businesses. So you want to see a history of, of you know, realizing value of those investments. And I, I didn't go too far back, I must admit, but I went sort of back a year or two. And I just couldn't see any announcements about where they'd, um, you know, um, sold down a stake in a business or, or, or seen something revalued higher. And, and you're sort of seeing the value creation from from that sort of uh, perspective. So I would say a sell as well. And um, what I would say to, to, to Danny, who asked the question is um, have a look at Bailador Technology um, Group if this is a space that you're after that listed venture capital. Um, those guys do a similar thing on the ASX, um, but but they have that proven history of, of doing that that process I sort of outlined of, of bringing stocks not only to market but realizing the value of their investments and growing that portfolio over time. So, so I'd probably be more again? Uh, Bailador Technology Investments Bailador. BTI. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so those guys have a stake in Sightminder, which is about to IPO. So that's a sort of example right. of you want to see them realising the value of their portfolio companies over time. Yeah, and I think Thorny have one as well, don't they? Um, sort of a tech investment fund as well. Yeah, Thorny run a few different ones. Um, off the top of my head, I don't know which ticker of theirs um, would be their sort of uh, venture yeah. capital. A lot of theirs is listed listed companies. But th- those more proven guys, I think I would go re- yep. go with rather than these guys. Unless you did have some sort of view as to, you know, the individual businesses in this portfolio, that one of them is significantly undervalued, which it's very hard for me to do as, as obviously um, Asian-focused yep. um, businesses. Yep. All right, uh, Alex wants um, a view, uh, Luke, on uh, Digital X, a uh, blockchain company. Uh, recently acquired a, uh, Sell My Shares, which is an online trade execution uh, service as well. They're in uh, blockchain applications and digital asset management. Uh, what do you think of Digital X? Yeah, look again. This one was was new to me, but it was interesting to have a look at. So they're, they're well and truly in the in the blockchain and, and cryptocurrency space. Um, you know, forty five million dollars of their balance sheet is is made up of Bitcoin and um, a, a another cryptocurrency called the Human Token, um, which I believe they they assisted in the development of that. So that's how they receive those tokens. Um, so look, if if you've got a a view on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, it's a, it's a good way to play it on the ASX, and, and maybe the only way you can really play it on the ASX, to be honest. Um, the 
the, the pivot that they're trying to do with blockchain ledger technology is around a product to assist listed companies in monitoring um, insider transactions in their stock. So it allows for um, sort of compliance and regulations around directors and executives being able to trade their own stocks and doing that through the ledger technology. So the purchase of sell my shares sort of fit into that a little bit by allowing a platform for these customers to actually transact shares through. That makes sense. But to me, it's a bit of a pivot away from, I think, um, where the business has historically been in the past, which I, I think the market's viewed it as, as sort of a Bitcoin proxy, partly because of the Bitcoin that physically holds on its uh, balance sheet, but, but also because it runs a Bitcoin fund, um, which is a way for people to get uh, access to Bitcoin. So it's moving a little bit away from that pure sort of Bitcoin crypto more into the, the, the blockchain ledger. But look, if they can make it work, it should do well. Um, I, I can only put a hold on the stock for me. Um, it's not it's not my place. I, I'm not big into, into crypto or, or, or blockchain, I must admit. But if you were, that's why you would own this stock. So I'd imagine, you know, on, on the valuation that I see, you've obviously got the backing of the of the assets on the balance sheet and an operating business that does okay in that sort of consultancy and advisory space. So you keep holding it if you did, but it's just not my sort of business. Owen? All right. We just, we look, I, look as... Might be on mute. Have we? Uh, oh, yes. Are you on your mic? Yes. Yeah, you go. <laughs> sorry, I lost it. Yes. <laughs> um, so, sorry, as I was saying, the, I agree with almost everything that Luke said there. Uh, the big thing is that if you're looking at the revenue of the business, just be mindful that a lot of it is basically revalued um, assets. So those digital assets on the balance sheet. So um, you're basically taking two parts of the business to do your valuation. One, you've got the assets, uh, which you don't really realize unless they sell and it turns into cash flow. Uh, and the other side is um, basically, you know, the operating business. The operating business hasn't been growing that well. I mean, it's, it's doing well, but um, I agree with Luke. I think what a lot of people maybe don't un understand here is that when you want to sell your shares and you want to execute sales of your shares, let's say you're a big listed company, you can go to um, computer share or live market services or boardroom and you can execute that way. Um, so you, you can, you can even if you just have one parcel of shares that you get in an equity plan, for example. So um, I don't know if that's necessarily a market that is where they're going to forge their competitive advantage. And they still earn a lot from consulting revenue. Uh, blockchain's a very new technology, so that I would expect to grow for the next few years. But um, I think it best for me, it's a hold as well. Okay. All right, we've uh, kicked off uh, the call today with uh, a couple of stocks at the small end of the scale. Let's go the other end. And um, Owen, we want a view on uh, Blackmores, the, uh, the big vitamin uh, group that uh, really shot to stardom with sales into China, then moved back again because of the China trade wars. And there's, there's a bit of argy-bargy between uh, the Blackmores board and the founder, Marcus Blackmore, who's off the board now, but still a significant shareholder. Uh, who's quite critical of the way that the, the company is running at the moment. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting thing, Koshi. When I was looking through the most recent announcements in the lead up to today's show, what I was surprised to, to read was how candid some of the commentary has been around that. Um, and so I guess normally in the ASX land, you would see you know maybe four or five layers of, of legal um, overview before you get, get to see um, some of the good stuff. And there was some pretty... Uh, interesting words exchanged there. But okay, so just back, backing up a bit, uh, Blackmores is a business, it sells vitamins, it's basically in that wellness 
Um, bringing people closer to nature is basically what they want to do. And they do that, as you said, uh, in China. They've done it. Um, they're trying to expand into India, I believe. And they've also got their Australian operations. There aren't that many brands in Australia that have taken on the global scene with success. For better or for worse, Black Moss has given it a go. And a few years ago, it was all the rage in China, you know, that, that China growth play. Um, the valuation got to nosebleed levels. It come back. Uh, and now they've kind of reset. And in that time, what's actually happened is they've actually let go of um, six people from their board of directors, including, as you say, um, Blackmore himself. And now what we're seeing is the company, at least in the short term, as that price chart shows in front of you there, that the company has come back and is back in favor with the market. And that's because sales are up. They've achieved their targets. Uh, they've paid a dividend. They've done everything that a shareholder could want from them in the short term. And so this is a really interesting time for Blackmore to be challenging effectively challenging the directors. So, I mean, all things considered, we had this debate in our investing team the other day, um, you know, whether skincare products and cosmetics actually um, work. Um, and a counterpoint to that was, well, does vitamins, do vitamins actually work? And uh, can you invest on that basis? And I think um, at the end of the day, you can, because enough people believe uh, that vitamins do work um, and they sell many good products uh, right around Australia and indeed throughout Asia now. So. For me, I would say Blackmores is actually a buy, but it, it started a small position. Mm. Okay. Uh, Luke, what do you think of Blackmores? Um, yeah, look, I agree with uh, Owen's comments there on, on the sort of the curious um, board spat, I guess, for lack of a better word. I, I, I think he's right. It comes at, a, at an odd time and, and definitely feels like there's more personal stuff behind the scenes rather than purely based on the performance of the business, which has been okay. Um, I, you know, I went back to the FY21 results. The headline numbers were pretty strong. Now, bear in mind a lot of that was sort of... Um, you know, cost out driven or, or, or transformational sort of stuff that the new management team has put in. And it's, it's hard to sort of drive those um, benefits longer term. At some point, you need the top line growth to really kick in and uh, for, to have that sustainable profit growth. But, you know, there were some some signs to suggest that that's sort of turning the corner as well. Um, the core Australian business, I think, is, is the issue. Uh, revenues declined three years in a row, um, uh, particularly FY21 on the back of COVID disruptions with the um, you know, the, the, the luggage trade, I suppose, of, of Daigus and, and people buying off the shelf in Australia and sending back to China. But even the direct China revenues, despite um, being a 28% headline growth, was coming off a week FY20 and, and um, you know, it's still below FY18 levels itself. So the highlight, no doubt, and I think where people are really getting excited about the stock is they're getting some really good traction in their ex-China international segment. So it's primarily Indonesia, Thailand, and Malaysia, but obviously three big segments and in all, in all growing too. Um, but but 18% revenue growth and, and, and very strong um, over the last few years as well. And starting to see some margin expansion there too. Uh, I think it was about 50% profit growth. Um, the thing that I really took from the, the FY21 results though was a very, very ambitious FY24 target. Um, and I'm generally not a fan of businesses that do this. Um, you know, you sort of set a target uh, you know, three years into the future and um, you can sort of put out any numbers you want, really. It's, it's, it's hard for the market to, to take that longer term view. But look, they're looking to grow sales to about 850 million from about five, 550, 560 um, and, and all organic as well. So if they can do that and, and sort of keep margins where they are, it's a business that, that you know, probably does between 90 and 100 mil NPAT in FY24 um, and trades on a very reasonable multiple. So I think the market's starting to believe that turnaround story and then hopefully seeing the growth. For me, I could probably only put a hold on it because you, you're now bringing forward a lot of that um, that 
that sort of growth. And, and I just need to see a little bit more of, of the execution, particularly the revenue line. Um, full credit to management, they've done well on the on the um, restructure and, and, and the cost out of, of refixing that cost base. But I probably just need to see a little bit more evidence of, of growth um, of, of that revenue. Mm. Okay. All right. So, uh, so a hold rather than a buy? Yeah, just a hold. Okay. All right. Um, now, Paul wants a view on Orthocell. Uh, Luke, this is, um, they're in um, uh, sort of College of Medical Devices, Cellular Therapies. They're in the sort of, sort of fixing up of bones and cartilage and things like that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So sort of regenerative medicine and, and, and yep. the use of collagen, I think, is, is where their technology. So, so Cell Grow is the main product. They, I, I had a look. It, it was a bit new to me, I must admit, but had a look at, at their reports and presentations. They've got a couple of other products looking to um, to bring to market. But for now, Cell Grow is the main one. And they've actually got you know a product in market around a dental solution, which is nice and bringing a little bit of revenue through the door. Um, the issue for me, it's it's just it's very very early stage. It was about a million dollars revenue, um, still burning um, about I think it was about a nine million dollar loss. Um, even at a cash flow level, was about five mil. Um, Paul, who who sort of sent in the suggestion, noted that they've got a good um, chunk of cash in the bank, and and that's true, about sixteen mil cash in the bank. So, at, at the current sort of cash burn, there's at least. Um, two, maybe three years of, of uh, management team's runway to, to, to really drive execution and sales. Um, but it, uh, they, they really have to obviously expand that product set, um, or if not the product set, definitely the applications of, of cell growth. So um, for me, look, uh, Paul, I, I just don't know enough about the product or its or its addressable markets, or, or in particular, I guess, its competitors and, and where it could really stack up against them. I would say it's a hold, but if you've done the work into the product and you've got confidence that it is a good product and you think that this does address some, some um, you know, serious issues and with some good execution management can drive that in, into the future. There's a bit to like here, and so I could I could see holding it, but um, yeah. uh, for me, yeah, I, I couldn't buy it today. Okay, um, Owen, because it's a, it's sort of at that stage where it's sort of great technology, and they're at the patent stage, aren't they? Um, around around the world, they've just um, secured patents for for cell grow in Canada and Hong Kong. They previously had Australia, New Zealand, Japan, so it's sort of building that network as well. Yeah, that's the thing, Koshi. And um, I guess just to explain how this kind of works is that if you come to market with a product such as this, uh, you not only have to develop the product for R&D, which takes cash, uh, then you have to uh, obviously seek regulatory approval, um, which takes cash. Then you have to protect your product through patents and the like, uh, which takes cash. And then you have to actually convince surgeons to use it, which, to be honest, in my experience, for many of these companies, is probably one of the hardest steps of all. And so we're seeing some of that, that revenue coming in. We've seen some approvals, um, such as the FDA, for certain products um, around dental. And honestly, like you, you have to expect, if you're looking at a company like this, it's a very, very long runway. You know, we talk about mining companies in Australia having you know, that three to five year lead time for engineering and, and the like. Uh, this is the type of business that can take many years to play out. We've actually got another company in the lineup for today's show that actually is probably further along and it's probably a better case of when things go right, what it actually looks like. Um, but for me, at, a, at $100 million market cap or thereabouts, a million dollars revenue, I think this has to be a very small part of a portfolio if it is a part of a portfolio at all. Um, I think one of the things to remember with any type of medical devices or even biotech is that... Um, there is basically no way to get an edge on the product itself necessarily ahead of time. So what I mean by that is some people think that they can pick a winner in a biotech field or some type of product going through clinical trials. 
But what actually happens is no one knows the answers because if we did know the answers, we wouldn't have to do trials. And so it's very hard to get that edge as an investor to say, this uh, product I think is going to work and here are the logical reasons why that's the case. So that's why I say, if you're going to do it, keep it a very small part of the portfolio. Um, I think there's a better example after the, the short break that we have in just a moment. Yep. Uh, for me, it's a sell though. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, yeah, that stock coming up. And the second half of the call is Polynovo, so we'll get to that very shortly. Um, uh, Owen Graham wants a view on Veeam. Uh, Graham says, particularly interested in barriers to entry, forward orders and future prospects uh, that stand out as uh, favourable. Veeam's really interesting company is uh, uh, in marine propulsion, sort of the high-tech uh, area and um, its products go into uh, luxury yachts, fast ferries, uh, defence industries. Um, one of the big knocks on it in the past is it's been very illiquid and the founding families um, actually offloading a whole bunch of shares to, uh, to add to liquidity. Um, they've done a placement to institutional and high net worth individuals. They've got a share purchase plan underway. So it looks as though they're doing a fair bit of corporate work around their register at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Um, the business was, uh, I believe, founded in the late 1960s. So this is a business that um, has been around for a long time. And uh, it's not just in necessarily the super yacht uh, kind of part of the market. It's actually uh, also involved in defence and, uh, and some other industries as well. And I guess the big thing for Veeam is just um, understanding the parts of its business and how they come together. So um, the gyro st stabilization <clears throat> part of me is actually the really exciting growth part of the business, which is um, to the question from Graham, is basically the part of the business that is industry leading. Um, it's, it kind of su supports that business with other work, but the gyro st stabilization is basically a new technology and it spins up inside a boat. So rather than having the, the, the fins that sit, sit out underneath the super yacht to give it stabilization, it spins up and it creates stabilization when it's you know, um, at anchor or when the boat is moving in choppy seas. So it's actually um, mm. a fantastic piece of technology. It's a fantastic business. Um, revenue is up, everything is looking up. And just on your point about founders selling down, um, the company's gonna have more cash in the bank because that was probably one concern is that it basically has to pay up for these, uh, for these products and to manufacture and then roll out and R&D and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's actually now got more cash in the bank thanks to a cap raise. Uh, the sell down is actually going to create more liquidity. Um, and most importantly, um, the founding family still has significant skin in the game with just over 50% share ownership, I believe. So um, lots of lots of things to like about Veeam. I think the last time we were on the show, um, Luke and I together, um, we actually talked about this one company. So I'm interested to hear Luke's updated thoughts. Okay. So have you, would you buy at these levels? I probably would buy it, yeah. Yeah. Luke? Buy it too, and, and, and disclosure. Actually, I own it, so that's uh, you know that's money where the mouth is. Um, yeah, look, Owen, Owen's right, and, and just out of um, interesting point, Veeam, the, the name is actually the initials of the of the um, uh, the father and mother that founded the business, and now the two sons continue to run it today. So you know, true family business on the ASX always good to find. Um, Owen's completely spot on. Um, the core business is in that marine propulsion space. Is, does a lot of different things, but with defence and propellers and things like that. But the gyro, marine gyro stabilizers, is where the market's really excited, and the business itself, to be to be fair, is really excited about. Um, and, and to answer Graham's question around the competitive advantage these guys have, um, 
it's around the, the I guess, the power of their of their gyro stabilizers because there are a few competitors out there that do smaller versions of a of a marine gyro stabilizer and can be used in in small vessels and um, you know um, sort of people that are using it for recreation or things like that. Uh, but but where Veen has really come along with its technology is is the power they're able to generate from their range of gyros. And as an example, I, I went and looked. Their main competitor in the US is a business called Seakeeper, and the the largest gyro that they sell um, does. 30 kilonewtons um, of power, whereas Veeam's largest is 520, um, wow. and they're looking to re release a 750. And so what that effectively means is that they can supply these gyros to just much bigger boats, and it just um, really broadens that addressable market beyond um, small vessels to, um, to, to to really large boats and um, passenger ferries and, and offshore offshore drilling ferries and things like that are a few that have uh, already reached out. So that's where the to answer Graham's question, that's where the competitive advantage really comes from, and why it's so exciting is that Veeam is really creating this market on their own through the the, the size and power of the gyros that they're developing. Um, they're they're doing sales already, so seven and a half million last year, which is up fifty percent. But the the thing that impresses me, um, as Owen pointed out, they did a small capital raise, which will obviously help them build some working capital and some inventory. It is it is one of those sorts of businesses that does have to invest um, ahead of the, the the sales and the revenue coming in. But the uh, the factories they have over in Western Australia can support up to a hundred million dollars of sales today. So you know you could really scale this business up over the next few years before requiring another big injection of, okay. of, of capital expenditure, which is is nice to see. So for me, it's still a buy. I think all all of the things that you guys have highlighted around the um, the register, I think, is a positive. Um, for me, not a concern at all that the founding family took a little bit of money off the table. They own 60% of the business, so it was probably a hindrance to some people um, yep. to bring that down to 50. Um, the capital raise gets a bit of um, money in the door and an SPP to um, to help out retail holders who, who may have only had a small holding themselves. So I think it was all handled well, and you're buying it today lower than that pricing of $1.18 was the price that they yep. did. So um, for me, definitely a buy. Yeah, that's good. I remember last time you talked about your... Uh, uh, directed us to YouTube with a video on exactly what this thing does. Uh, yeah, and it is really cool impressive. Videos. Really impressive. Yeah, they flick, literally, you flick a button and uh, the boat stops rocking. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Mm. Anyone who gets seasick, it's great for them. Um, all right, mm. let's re recap the uh, the first half of the call. Uh, uh, Crash Stocks, uh, Pro Medicus from uh, Owen, Zero from Luke. Um, uh, Fatfish, um, a sell from, uh, from both of them. Uh, Digital X, a hold. Uh, Blackmore's a buy from Owen, a hold from Luke. Uh, Orthocell, uh, no from Owen and a hold from Luke. And Veeam, a yes from both of them. Uh, here at The Call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of uh, July last year, thanks to our partner NAB Trade. Any stocks like Veeam, who get a unanimous thumbs up from the, our expert panel, goes into the portfolio. This is how it's tracking for the week up about two and a quarter percent, up two and a half percent for the month. Since uh, this financial year, up seven point three percent, and since inception, July the first, twenty twenty, uh, up forty five percent. Some of the stocks recently added: uh, Mineral Resources, Ingham's, WiseTech Global, Three Sixty Capital Group, and Whitehaven Coal. Uh, some of the stocks removed: Alcidian, PointsBet, Sandfire Resources and Adairs. And uh, if you want to check all the stocks and ETFs in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and we um, update it every day.
Let's kick off the second half and uh, Paul wants a view, Owen, on uh, Polinovo. Uh, Paul says um, the price was up around four bucks at the start of the year, but has been dropping steadily after its good sales growth didn't meet the market's unrealistic expectations, according to Paul. Uh, the stock has now attracted short interest, which seems to be holding the price down. But at the current price, it looks like a great buy, according to Paul. I'm expecting Polonovo to report further good sales growth at its AGM next week. What do the experts uh, think of it? So obviously, Paul is a bit of a fan of uh, Polonovo and has some stock in it. Uh, is he right? Will it be coming up? They have. Uh, a number of, um, again, this is a medical devices uh, business. They have uh, things called Novo, uh, saw Polynovo as well. Uh, they've been hit a bit because of um, uh, private hospitals being closed down in the US because of COVID, haven't they? Um, which has sort of hit the share price a bit. Yeah, I think it's, it's partly that, Koshi, but it's also partly the fact that this is a business which had its share price race ahead of its fundamentals. So it's a really promising business. Uh, for those that don't know, it's effectively like a sheet, like an A4 sheet of paper, um, and it basically helps heal wounds and, and skin. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful uh, product. It's a wonderful innovation, and it's, um, it's easy to see why surgeons are using it. Um, I've seen some case studies of it in hospitals before, and it's, it's fantastic stuff. The thing is, um, you know, obviously the market, I think, got ahead of itself. Uh, the business is still growing. It's forging more distribution networks. It's a business that's further along, so there's no kind of uh, concerns around trials or anything like that, although they do have a new product coming to market, which they're hoping to expand outside of hernias um, and to do uh, chronic wound care. So it's a business that has a lot of potential, but it's just about keeping up you know, with that valuation. I think um, there, aren't, there, there have been many studies that show basically that in the short term, what predicts um, returns for investors is valuation, but over the long term, what predicts returns is growth. And so when I say long term, what I mean is like 10 years or more. And so if you're the type of investor that takes a very long term time horizon and applies that to Polynovo, then you might find that this is a, a really interesting business. But at this valuation, I think it's a hold. Okay. Um, Luke? Yeah, um, look, Owen touched on the business well. It's in that sort of regenerative space. Um, uh, OrthoCell, we spoke about before, with sort of bones and tendons. These guys, yeah. as, as Owen pointed out, is, is burns and, and wound care. Um, I actually had this one come up a, a few months ago, and I, and I said sell, uh, essentially on valuation, as Owen pointed out, and it definitely gotten ahead of itself. And interestingly enough, this is a good example of Owen's comments on OrthoCell around um, the different steps these businesses have to go through until you know you finally reach a scalable business. And um, you look at that chart there, and they were very much in that phase where um, everyone knew it was a really good product. It, you know, the trials had performed exceptionally well, and some of the early um, the early demand, I suppose, from from the early adopters was good. But then the difficulty of selling the product, which which Owen highlighted before, it's 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 probably the hardest step for these businesses. Um, it's it's usually never as smooth as what the market or the business hopes, and it, it just takes time to build that traction. So, you've had a pretty savage reaction to the share price. The underlying business business is starting to to, to do okay, and um and, and Paul who, who who wrote it in sort of hit the nail on the head. The growth is is starting to really recover, particularly in the U.S. Um, and that's a common theme I've seen across a few sort of medical devices and uh, companies and and businesses exposed to hospitals is that that healthcare system in the US really did start to open back up towards the back half of last year, our financial year. Um, 
And so these businesses were able to get back into hospitals and, and really sell their product and, and get feed on the ground, which they have to do. So um, the US numbers were, were really positive and, and you know, getting close to 50% year on year growth, but accelerating through the year. And, and in particular, the fourth quarter was strongest and, and, and you hope to see that momentum continue into FY22. Um, Australia and, and the rest of the world was okay. It was sort of around at 20% growth, which of course is, is still solid, but probably below what the market expected, which is why you saw the share price come off. Um, they managed to get to break even in FY21, but the management team sort of did note that um, they will sort of reinvest any additional cash flows back into the business, which is fine. You expect them to do that at this stage of the business is to really reinvest back for growth. Um, I, I would probably just have it as a hold. Like I said, I came on last time with a sell. I would probably change that to a hold now and, and say to Paul, you know, if you're in the stock, you would you would hold it because I think you're seeing the first signs of that fundamental turnaround. Um, as Owen pointed out, now you need the market to come back to it and, and, and probably the valuation to, to match up to the fundamentals, which sometimes takes a little bit of time. But um, I, I would, I'll probably just hold this one for now. Okay. All right. Brett wants a view, uh, Luke, on Air New Zealand. Um, New Zealand's national character. How do you see Air New Zealand? Look, my, my first comment here was I, I put this in the too hard basket. I, I, I know Brett wants some, some really strong insights, but it's just such a complicated space at the minute. And Air New Zealand um, is probably even more complicated than, than, than a Qantas or, or, or another airline uh, because the New Zealand government owns 52% of the business. And if you go and look at their announcements, they've flagged that um, the business requires a capital raise and the government will support that capital raise to maintain their majority ownership. Um, but it got delayed until the first quarter this year. So you have this spectre of, of, of how will the capital raise play out at what price, how will it be supported between the New Zealand government versus uh, bondholders and, and things like that. So really messy capital structure, really messy um, recovery through COVID as, as, you know, they got back to 93% pre-COVID domestic travel. So um, just as you're on the cusp of, of domestic travel really normalising, of course, um, Auckland and, and um, some other locations in New Zealand go back into a lockdown and you're back at square one with the recovery. And I just think that sort of patchy recovery will be a common theme for all of the travel stocks over the next, uh, you know, few months and years. So look... It does have liquidity. They've called that out. Um, but, but that spectre of the capital raise, um, it, it's hard for me to sort of provide any any sort of major insight. And I'll, I'll just have it as a hold, to be honest, Koshi. Okay. Um, Owen? Comments from, uh, comment from Richard Branson is that if you want to be a millionaire, start with a billion dollars and launch an airline. Um, <laughs> the airline industry, as Luke points out, is highly regulated. And so if we look at New Zealand's return on a, a capital over the past five years, at best, it's hovered around about 14%. At worst, it's gone negative, which we've seen during COVID, which you'd expect. But the point is, at best, the return on invested capital is just over 10%. And for a business that, you know, you want to grow, you want to make dividends, you want to do all that sort of stuff, you've got to remember that there's oftentimes a ceiling on businesses that are so highly regulated. And so those price kind of caps and the profitability caps can actually really damage your returns over the long run. So if you're looking at this from a long run perspective, I would say, you know, it's, it's probably better options in the market. I'd just stay away from airlines in that respect. You could go to, um, you know, something like a transurban, which has uh, toll roads and, and can incrementally increase revenue. Um, but in New Zealand, it's benefited from um, the uh, cargo trade. So still being able to make the most of that. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, like Luke said, it's just in a very hard basket. You have the the regulatory, the financials, all that sort of stuff that are uncertainties. Um, but then you overlay that with when will travel return, how will travel return, 
what are the requirements going to be on international versus domestic? And to be honest, it's it's probably a sell for me. I'd rather put the money in something like, like I said, a transurban or even a uh, an ETF or something like that to get that dividend income. Okay. All right. There you go, Brett. Thank you for that uh, suggestion. Um, Owen Aaron wants to be on Beam Communications. It um, um, is in the, the satellite market. Um, it has this portable device that supports global calling, SMS, email, SOS alerts, social networking um, capabilities, just has uh, sold a whole bunch to of its Iridium Go uh, devices. Um, what do you think of that Beam? I think it's a it's a very very small business. So I think first of all, if you if you're looking at investing in it, just be mindful of things like liquidity. Be mindful of um, your position sizing around this and volatility, because all of those standard rules apply for a company that's sub fifty million dollars market cap. Yeah. Um, honestly, it's it's a business that you know it's generating revenue. It's got no debt. It's got a, a management team that's been at the helm for a very long time. So in terms of um, you know that alignment, in terms of um, kind of operators thinking like owners, I think you've got that here. Comes with the valuation that's requisite for a business of this risk. Um, again, once again, you know, last time I was on the show, I talked about a business called Tuas, which is run by David Teo. Yep. It's a Singapore's version of TPG. If you're looking for growth, if you're looking for someone that's got a track, very strong track record and has a cashed up company, I'd probably look at Tuas over something like Beam. Um, I don't necessarily have any special insights into uh, the satellite technology. Um, it's probably outside my wheelhouse. So. For me, a hold at best, um, very speculative, probably more like a sell, to be honest. Yeah, Luke? Yeah, look, I, I've been familiar with Beam for, for many years, and, and, and historically the business has been a manufacturer of satellite phones, and, and, and you called out Iridium there, Koshi. That's been their major customer for, for a long time. And so yeah. um, it, it's been a business that's very historically lumpy and cyclical around Iridium releasing new versions of satellite phones and then going through its sales cycles. So um, as they release a new one, Beam would manufacture that for them and obviously get the boost of, a, of an Iridium sales cycle. But then naturally that's starts to wane after you know a year or two until the next sort of um, uh, versions released and, and sometimes some just didn't sell as well as others so I, I hadn't looked at the business for a while I thought that was going to be the business I would come to today and, and sort of have views similar to Owen but I must admit I was pretty impressed with um, where management has taken this business over the last year or two and what they've done is they've looked to um, release their own device and it's called Zolio um, and it's a it's a satellite phone, but it also pairs to a, a smartphone app. So the app connects to um, a small um, sort of satellite widget, which provides the um, connection to, to the um, the telcos. And so the, by by using sort of a razor razor blades model, I guess they're selling the Zolio hardware itself uh, very very slim margins. But looking to pair that with a subscription to the app, and it's um, about, I think, I looked it up online, so I think it was $48 was the cheapest plan, 68 and 88 something like that. I, I did have a look. Um, and so, look, they've only sold about 1,500 of these, so it's very, very new. But um, if they can sort of get that product right, and, and the reviews look solid. I, you know, I jumped onto Google and typed in Zolio, and a lot of sort of, you know, five-star reviews from people say the product really works, and it's used for, like, people who go hiking or backpacking or, um, uh, you know, yachting out to sea. So, you know, you, you chuck it in your backpack or on your boat and you've got um, and th through your smartphone you've got a, a connection to, to, to satellite telcos so uh, if they can if they can get this product to work so so um, Aaron who sent it in 
Um, I, I would say actually speculative buy, to be honest, because it's swung to profitability and cash flow positive, which I think is always key for a micro cap. Um, but just keep an eye on that Zolio product, and in particular, keep an eye on the subscriptions. If you see them doing well and starting to bring in that consistent cash flow, um, this this business will do okay over the next few years, and, and, and maybe more than okay. So um, yeah, definitely a good one for the watch list. And, and, and Aaron, um, thanks for, for bringing it back to my attention, because yeah. I hadn't looked for a couple of years. All right. That, that sounds fascinating. We should... Actually, get the uh, the CEO on Ausbiz here to uh, find out a bit more about it and the transition there. Um, mm. Look, Jesse wants a view on Whisper. This is a, a SaaS product um, um, based in uh, or servicing Australia, New Zealand, Asia, and and North America. It's basically again uh, a communication system for uh, for business. Yeah, cloud communication system, and it's basically just a way for businesses to, to remain in contact with their customers. So whether that's by SMS, email, um, you know, social media, however it is, it sort of provides that whole suite. Um, um, yeah, very impressive business. I must admit the metrics around it, um, very good, very good customer base, real blue chip customers, the, the logos they put in their presentations. Um, from, from a, you know, if you're looking at a SaaS business, the metrics that they provide, they're, they're, they're all very impressive. Um, they, they grow their, their revenue retention, which means they're really expanding that revenue base with existing customers. Also growing those new customers, they go along, um, releasing new modules, um, looking to expand geographically. So uh, a lot of things to like. Um, and they're out today actually with their, their um, quarterly update and I had a quick look through that um, after looking a bit deeper yesterday and again the quarterly update looked quite strong as well and if you sort of model out the um, the increase to their recurring revenue they gave today in their quarterly they're well on track to hit their guidance uh, for, for full year 22 so it looked like a, a solid result um, on a on an ARR basis uh, recurring revenue it doesn't look too bad the, the, the issue is that um, they have called out some some increased costs and sort of flagged that um, the, the EBITDA loss will swing from about 7, 8 mil last year to about sort of 15, 16. And I think the main reason for that is they're really chasing US growth. So I'd look really closely at, at sort of whenever they provide these updates, how is that US performing today? It looked okay. Um, they sort of said they're targeting some smaller businesses, which I think is their, you know, your foothold to, to the wider market before hopefully you win a few of those larger enterprise customers later on. Um, but if you start to see good traction in the US, I think that's where this business is really looking to go. Um, I, I must admit, when I started looking at the the, the business and and, uh, and, the, and, the, and the stock, I, I did that before I looked at the chart and the valuation. And I sort of expected to see the stock, you had the chart up there before, you know, around that that four odd dollar level where it got to historically it's actually had a fair pullback and and a bit like beam i would, I would um say this is a a buy and and, and mm. maybe speculative buy but but definitely definitely a buy i think on the execution they're, they're providing um you know it's about five times arr which is cheap uh, the reason for that though bear in mind is it's not a it's not a pure you know 90 percent gross margin software business uh, yep. because they do incur um, the communication costs to, to send sms's and things like that um, but, but with the growth, I think you're still getting a, a pretty decent revenue valuation. And I think you've got a management team who have proven that they can wind back those discretionary expenses to come back to a break-even model mm. if they had to. So I think you can buy the stock here today. Okay. Owen? I think Luke's overview was tremendous. Um, I really like the business. I think if you're looking for an example of a company that's done this at huge scale, it would be Twilio in the United States and yep. uh, Twilio owns uh, businesses like SendGrid. And so basically that's a, and that's a tool that we use here at Rask and we can effectively automate all of our communications, whether it's through email or whether it's through uh, SMS. And that's basically uh, the same space. And I think this is a, there's two things that you really need to look at here. 
The first is the number of new customers added to the platform and they're growing quickly. The other thing is how much do existing customers pay? Um, I think about they spend about 17 cents extra the second year um, after they're onboarded. So that implies that the basic uh, principles of land and expand work for Whisper. So what that, I mean by that is you sell them one product and then you, you cross someone upsell. Mm. And all of a sudden you have existing cohorts getting more valuable as well as new cohorts coming on. And so uh, to Luke's point, I think the company's executed well. I think the one thing that may have spooked the market is basically pushing out that profitability target. But, um, you know, all things considered, if the business is generating that type of growth and is that sticky, uh, it should be reinvesting and it should be growing and setting itself up for a much brighter future in this kind of communications platform. Okay. So so I would give it a buy. A uh, buy yep. as well. Okay. All right. And our final stock, Isabel wants a view um, on, on Lark Distilling, the uh, the big whiskey um, or the boutique used to be a boutique uh, whiskey distilling business in Tasmania on the acquisition trail. And uh, its founder uh, says they aim to be the penfolds of whiskey. And uh, it's got a big following in investment markets, uh, basically because uh, how much inventory they've got maturing. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? So this is a $350 million business now. So it's not a business yeah. that you kind of turn your nose up at. It's a it's a real business. Um, it was started, I believe, in uh, after a fishing trip in 1989, <laughs> and uh, when Bill Lark effectively went to Tasmania and noticed, uh, you know, these beautiful waters and the kind of environment, and said, "Well, why can't we do whiskey here? It'd be wonderful." And so on, so on. The story has gone, and effectively, the business uh, has changed its name. It's under new management, and if we bring it up to speed today, the business uh, has a lot of inventory that's maturing. Depending on how you value that that inventory, you can actually get to Evaluation just based on assets that's um, very, very, um, I would say, respectable, at these, even at these levels. Um, I guess a few of the things that are really interesting to me about this business. The first one is when you look at a company like this that is asset rich, as Penfolds at Treasury Wines is, is that there's effectively two metrics. You've got the valuation of what's on that, the balance sheet and how the company values that. And then you've got the business and how that's going so far. So far, we're seeing revenue increase, but cash flow um, fall effectively. And so, uh, like cash outflow, I should say, and that's because the business's assets are not cash generating, or at least all of them yet. Um, this is a high-end whiskey um, with numerous brands. The most recent acquisition is actually pretty promising because it promises to increase a huge amount, put up a huge amount of throughput through um, with the combined acquisition and the, the kind of greenfield expansion to a uh, 1 million litre uh, distillery. So we're going to see a substantial increase. I think they're at 560,000 litres at the moment. So it's a substantial increase um, with cash on the balance sheet. The directors were buying shares in late 2020. Um, you know, this business has done pretty well through COVID. So uh, having just looked at it today, I know it has a bit of a checkered history with the name change and, and, and the like. Um, I think it's a speculative buy for me, but just be really mindful of the cash flows over the next, say, two to three years. Okay. Uh, what do you think, uh, Luke? It's, uh, it's had a good run up. It has. And I wish I could say I owned it. I had it tipped to me, you know, a, a year ago when it started this run. And um, I didn't look too much deeper because, as, as Owen pointed out, it doesn't fit your traditional metrics of an investment. There's no sort of revenue and profits coming through this business. So for me, I sort of looked at it and I couldn't see, you know, a, a cheap valuation that you would normally look for. But, um, you know, I've come to realize it's not how you value this business. And, and, and Owen hit the nail on the head. You have to you have to uh, assess it on, on, on an asset value and 
and how those assets value change over time. And the thing that I have really taken from this business, and, and um, it's no doubt in the price today, but I think they can continue to execute, is how they've grown their net sales value um, of the, the whiskey under maturation um, with, uh, sorry, faster than the amount of whiskey that's actually under maturation. So I'll, I'll explain that a little bit. What I mean is, um, as an example, there was 60% more whiskey in barrels um, down in Tassie, but the value of that whiskey went up by 150%. So what they're mm. doing is they're able to increase their prices or shift their product mix to the higher margin um, stuff. And so it naturally revalues that whiskey that's sitting in barrels because you're establishing that brand, you're establishing that product, mm. And the value of that whiskey that's just sitting there continues to increase as you execute on your brand and, and your pricing. And I think they can continue to do that. And the acquisition uh, Owen pointed out of uh, Pontville they made is a very savvy one. Um, it helps them fill out their sort of maturation profile, particularly in the short end in the next sort of one to two years. Um, and from what I understand, Lark are pretty familiar with this business. They've actually contracted to Pontville in the past to, um, to source whiskey. So they're familiar with these guys and how they produce and, and, and the quality. And so um, as an example, if you look at the presentation, um, they're plugging the net sales value of the Pontville acquisition at Lark's current net sales value of about $216 per litre. They only paid about $50 per litre for the acquisition. So you wow. see some real good accretion of essentially you, you're putting the Lark label on someone else's whiskey and you get that that instant price increase. So that's that's the that's the beauty of this business and the appeal of this business. And the other reason I would I would uh, with Owen I would say uh, speculative buy as well because it has had a strong run. There's no doubt uh, an, an M and A premium premium in this stock now. Um, this this is a takeover target for for the global um, sort of uh, you know luxury yep. um, uh, consumer goods businesses, a Diageo or a Pernod Ricard or something like that. These businesses always wait to see their targets reach scale, usually around that billion dollars of net sales value. So Lark's about halfway there. And once you've got that brand and you've got the scale and you've got the the um, you know the, the the inventory behind it, the, these yeah. guys just buy you out at, at significant premium. So that's that's definitely in the price right now, but but with good reason. I think it's a, a you know a, a likely outcome for Lark at some point in the, in okay. the future. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. That uh, uh, gets us away from the call today. We've got a dash. Uh, Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Great to see you. Thank you, mate. Owen Raskovich from. Uh, from Rats Media, good to have you aboard, guys. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the week. Let's recap uh, final five stocks. Polynova, a hold from both Air New Zealand, no from Owen, uh, a hold from Luke. Uh, Beam, speculative buy from Luke, uh, a no from Owen. He prefers in that telco space, Chuas. Uh, Whisper, a buy from both of them, and also Lark Distilling. So Veeam, Whisper, and Lark go into the calls portfolio. Um, if you've got any stocks you want me to uh, put to our panel, just put them in an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. All the stocks in the calls portfolio, ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Mm-hmm.